Peter chapter verses 1 through 5. Verse 5, 1 to 5. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and as a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your ways and for making your will known to us, for revealing yourself. And we do recognize that you are the chief shepherd and we are your sheep. We thank you, God, that your word says that you um, keep your sheep. None of them shall be stolen away from you and that you lay down your life for your sheep. You are a good shepherd. So as we look at your word, Lord, we just again want our hearts to be drawn to you and that you would be honored and exalted, Lord, within each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Well, obviously this passage of Scripture here is written specifically to the elders of a church. And the metaphor is that of a shepherd, um, or shepherds, plural, with the sheep. There are, are lots of metaphors in the Bible for the church, and... Um, Shepherd and sheep is only one. Um, there's also the bride, and there is the temple. There is the pillar and support of the truth, a royal priesthood, um, just some of the metaphors that are used to describe um, the church in the New Testament. Shepherd and sheep is a great metaphor, but obviously it's not a perfect one, or it'd be the only one. And one of the things that makes it less than perfect is that um, sheep aren't supposed to bite and devour and um, attack. And yet, but we know within the church we do that to one another, and so we have admonitions, do not bite and devour one another. And so sheep don't typically bite and devour. So it's not a perfect metaphor, but it is a good one, obviously, or the Lord wouldn't be using it. Keep in mind here that the context that First Peter is being written in is a context of persecution, and, um, and he has just been saying in the previous chapter not to be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing. Talks about the sufferings of Christ, suffering as a Christian, suffering according to the will of God. And now he starts talking about elders shepherding the church. And so what's the connection? Um, I, don't, I haven't killed a lot of snakes in my life, but I've never met one I liked. And so I've... I've <laughs> Um, I have been guilty of killing a few snakes. And um, I, I know the, that if you're in the snake killing um, mode, it's the best thing to always do is go for the head. One of our students, Nathaniel, really enjoys... Uh, <laughs> when we had our missions trip down in, in Rockport with the Hurricane Harvey relief, there were a lot of snakes. And whenever somebody yelled snake, Nathan was, was Johnny on the spot. And... Um, doesn't normally move very fast, doesn't normally get very excited, <laughs> but just mentions snake and Nathaniel's there. 
And so he was posting pictures and things of snakes on the end of his knife, you know, just the head. And so he grabbed the snake, cut its head off. Now, to the world, to Satan's kingdom, the church is a snake. Make no mistake about it. And, and in the, as far as Satan's concerned, every snake deserves to die. And so for 2,000 years since the church's existence, the devil's been doing all he can to destroy the church. And just as we, when we want to kill a snake, you, kill, you cut off the head, the devil's going, when you want to kill the church, cut off the head. And so the elders are the first to be persecuted and to be martyred. And so in countries where there's still organized, state-sponsored persecution of the church, they always go after the pastors first. They're the ones that are the most likely to go to prison. They're the ones most likely to be tortured for their faith and to be put to death. And so Peter now is writing to the elders. And it's a heavy responsibility um, to be an elder, but especially in times of persecution. You are a target, more so than if you were not an elder, because the devil's wanting to cut the head off the snake. Now, not to mock the enemy, I hope I'll never be guilty of that, but it's a futile thing he's tempting to do, because the scripture tells us he's never going to destroy the church, and the scripture tells us the head of the church is not the elders, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there's nothing he can do to Jesus. And he's already had his head crushed. And Satan is the victor. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So there is persecution. And elders are the first target when there is state-sponsored persecution. Go after the leaders. So I want to spend just some time here not only looking at this passage and the particulars of it, but more broadly about um, the role of elders as the New Testament defines them. And one of the first things that we note is that it's always in the plural. I exhort the elders among you. It's just whenever there is a church and elders referenced, it is never a single, single elder. There is always the assumption of a plurality of elders. So it was never God's intention that there only be one um, elder. And there is not a, a separate role of pastor. Um, elders were pastors, and pastors were elders. And so there was not a separate role. So we don't have three offices in the church, pastor, elder, and deacon. We have two offices, elder and deacon. And the elders were the shepherds, pastors, um, teachers um, within the church, guides, many different adjectives that are used to describe their roles. Always plural, always masculine. There's no example, no um, instance in scripture of women ever being elders. We don't know all the reasons for that, but I think that it, it, to, it as basic as it can be, is that the elders are a picture, not a substitute for, but a picture of Christ and his leadership of the church. And the qualifications of an elder were put there because they were to be, are to be men who model Christ. 
Christ is male. The head of the church is male. And it breaks with the uh, picture that Christ is trying to establish with the headship of a church if the headship, leadership of a church is female. The head of a home is to be the man. And the head of a church is to be men. That is God's design. We shouldn't have to apologize for it. It has nothing to do with ability or competence. God didn't say, I'm going to make men more competent. I'm going to make men more gifted. I don't believe he's even reserved the gift of pastoring to to men. But I believe women also can be and are gifted by God to give um, pastoral care, tender, loving care, supportive care um, to others. Their ministry will be principally to women and children. It's astounding to me that we can just see the good of God's word and yet feel um, threatened and embarrassed today to proclaim it. Um, But male leadership, male leadership is God's design and God's design is good. Now any leadership, male or female, can be abusive and it can be expressed in a way that's not right. And Peter speaks to that in this chapter, how that leadership is to be expressed. So I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder. And already we're getting a hint of how this leadership is to be conveyed. Peter could have been um, pulling his authority here, the authority card. And he could have said, I exhort you as an apostle. I exhort you as one who has authority over you. But he doesn't. And he pulls back from that. And he calls himself a fellow elder, one among. And then his second description of himself, a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He was there, and he saw Jesus suffer. And a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. So Peter says, these are the things, this is the basis from which I exhort you as one who is among you, a fellow elder, as one who has seen the witnesses of Christ. So this is not academic to me when I tell you, when I'm about to tell you that elders should um, not run when the suffering comes. Christ didn't run. He is truly a good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep and not a hireling that ran when the first threat of danger came. And elders should not run when the danger comes, but take the suffering. And a partaker also, not will be a partaker, but a present partaker of the glory that will be in the future revealed. We are all partakers of the glory of Jesus Christ. The moment that Christ comes to live in you, the glory of God inhabits you. And and that glory will be fully revealed in the future but we are at this moment partakers of the glory of God. Now, I just want to caution, give a word of caution here before I even go any further. It's very easy in a message like this to just start concentrating on the elders among us. I'm being one of them. And I'm not trying to avoid that, but what is true of the elder here, true of the one who is a shepherd, one in a position of headship, is also true of the husband, the father. So this is not a message that applies only to the elders of a church. 
I believe it applies to every married man and especially every father. The things that are true of an elder should also be true of each of us as husbands and fathers. So now his exhortation in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you. Shepherd the flock. And you remember again, it's, uh, all that must be going through Peter's mind as he wrote this epistle, because virtually every exhortation that he gives would have been very personal to him. This was no exception. In John chapter 21, you remember Jesus after his resurrection pulls Peter aside and says, Peter, do you love me? Remember the passage? Just flip over there with me. It's worth looking at. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Obviously, that is the most important part of this um, encounter that Jesus has with Peter. In three ways, three times, tend my lambs, shepherd my sheep, tend my sheep. So Jesus is leaving one major impression upon Peter right at the end. Take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Shepherd them, tend them, take care of them. So what does that look like, and what does that mean? So Peter gets into that a little bit, going back to 1 Peter chapter 5. Shepherd the flock of God. First of all, to recognize that these sheep, this flock, are not ours. They're God's. A dad needs to recognize his children belong to God. God gave them. They are not exclusively his. They belong to the Lord. And any elder in a church needs to recognize these are not my people. These are God's people. It is the flock of God. That'll give a seriousness, a purposefulness, circumspection, soberness in handling and taking up this responsibility. It isn't about us. It's about the sheep. Shepherd the flock of God among you, not under you. So again, even as Peter called himself a fellow elder, he is saying to the elders, the flock among you. There is authority. I'm not denying that. But the emphasis that Peter is making here is not on authority, but it's on responsibility. An elder a shepherd is one among, not just one over with others under. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Not, he'll give three negatives and three positives. The first negative, not under compulsion. 
I, I can't imagine, you know, if, if, why anybody would, would take up being an elder if it's not something he feels called to and something he desires to do. But apparently, in some churches, elders are serving who do not want to be elders. They feel compelled. They feel drafted into it. They are not serving freely, but by compulsion. That is not the way it should be. There should be a heart for this. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Now, to apply this to a father, once those children come into your life, this is a matter of attitude, not a matter of volition, because they're already your kids. They're already your responsibility. So you can't just decide, well, I feel compelled, and I should be, this should be voluntary, so I'm not going to parent my children. It's a matter of attitude. And if this is something that God has brought to you to be a parent, a father, to be an elder, it's a heart thing. And from the heart, it ought to be viewed as a privilege, as something that you choose, that you volunteer for, and not something that is forced upon you. And then, as he says, according to the will of God. If this is what God wants, then accept God's will willingly, not with a reluctant heart. And I don't know how, you know, that's a choice, isn't it? Whatever God's will is, we can accept it with reluctance or we can accept it with joy. It's a matter of heart, a matter of attitude. Not, the second negative, for sordid gain. This is not a prohibition against elders being paid. There is lots in Scripture about elders being paid. It is an admonition against elders using the office, the position, as a way to um, get things for themselves, maybe reputation, maybe status, maybe praise, um, That is not what it's about. It is not about getting something. It is about serving, loving, giving. It is not for the elder that a man would accept that position, but it is for the sheep in accordance with the will of God. So not for what he can get out of it, but with eagerness. An eager elder eager. But when sheep bite and devour one another, how can you voluntarily and eagerly serve? Well, you've got to love the sheep. You know, I, I, I would never have been a vet because I could not have been, I would not have put up with being bitten by my patients. <laughs> Oh, so that's the way you're going to be today, is it? And they would, I don't know, you know, it wouldn't wouldn't turn out well for those cats and dogs. We had a camper at his hill years ago, and his dad was a veterinarian here in Bernie. 
And I asked him, I said, are you going to grow up and be a veterinarian like your dad? And he goes, oh, absolutely not. And I go, why not? And he goes, why would I want to get bitten and clawed every single day? So I don't know what he's doing today, but it's, he's not a veterinarian. <laughs> a lot of pastors leave the pastorate because they're tired of being bitten and clawed. And they say, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't, I didn't sign up, get all the training, become a pastor so that I could be abused and be attacked. And they walk away from it. Thankfully, I can't speak from personal experience. This church has been free from so much of what I hear about. And I truly thank the Lord for that. But we know what we're all capable of. And we can turn on each other. What keeps you going? What keeps you in your marriage? What keeps you parenting your children when they're not responding? What keeps an elder serving? You've got to love the sheep. You love the Lord, and you love his people. And that's the motivation. Is there anybody that loves perfectly, by the way? Only Jesus. Love is that debt that is never fully paid. Romans 12 Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Right? So there has never been a mom or a dad who has perfectly loved their children. And there has never been an elder, pastor, who has perfectly loved the church. We need to accept that. And that is not an, an excuse to not want to love better. But we shouldn't always be holding over people. You don't love me well enough. That'll always be true. There is no one in your life who loves you well enough, as well as they may love you. Jesus is the only perfect lover. Everyone else falls short. But I know as an elder and working among elders, There's many times you, when, a, when a person feels unloved, sometimes there's just nothing you can say or do to convince them that you love them. And as an elder, that hurts because you want them to know that you love them. But sometimes you feel helpless to do anything to convince them. As a parent, you want your children to know that you love them. And yet sometimes children are convinced that you don't. And you just go, how can that be? How can that be? Verse 3, the third negative. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. There is an authority But it's not about the authority. And there are few instances where the authority card should be played. Elders should not function from a position 
of authority, but rather as examples, he says, proving to be examples to the flock. We approach one another in grace and in humility with a view to our own frailty and our own proneness to fall short. And so we don't lord it over because of a position. When we started a second-year program at His Hill quite a few years ago now, I was, um, I felt led of the Lord, I trust it was of the Lord, to make clear to those second-year students from the very beginning, and I've done it every year since, you have no authority. And I don't even like calling it a leadership program, though they are very much involved in leadership in the school. And I've told them, I said, I want you to be aware of what's going on with the first-year students. I want you to be taking responsibility in the dorm to step up when something needs to be said, say it. But you don't have any authority. And the reason I've done that is because when we teach leadership based on authority, it becomes non-relational. And it's easy to lead based from position and authority. It's much harder to do the right thing, to speak up, say what needs to be said when you have no authority. But that's true leadership. There was no greater leader on this planet than Jesus Christ. But he had no position, none whatsoever. He wasn't leading from personal authority. In fact, the centurion was right when he said to him, I know that you are a man under authority, and therefore you have authority. Jesus' authority was not derived from himself, but from his relationship with the Father. And our authority is always that way. You can be an elder, you can be president of the United States, and not have any real authority. You have no moral authority. You just have a position. But it's moral authority that is the real authority. And that only comes from living in relationship with Christ. And so I've told the second-year students, you need to confront, you need to speak up, but do not do it from a position of authority. I need to confront, I need to speak up. It shouldn't be simply as a director of a Bible school or as an elder of a church but as a brother in Christ. Because the issue here is not the school, and it is not this church, but it is the Lord Jesus Christ and living a life that is worthy of Him. And so we appeal to one another, we encourage one another, we strengthen, we exhort one another, even we rebuke one another from Christ. What is true of Him? Not as lording it over, some people say the reason when Paul said, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, 1 Timothy chapter 2, that what Paul was saying, some people say, is that a woman is not to teach authoritatively, but she can teach men, just not authoritatively. This verse presents a major problem for that view, because even men are not to be lording it over. It's not about lording it over. Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach 
a man. I believe he's talking about Bible and doctrine. That's it. Nor to exercise authority over a man. I believe he's talking about the church. And neither is a man to lord it over. We do not have that prerogative. Those allotted to your charge. He's telling us that just as, as a wife is not to be submissive to every man, but only to her husband. An elder has no right to expect all Christians to be in a position of, of relationship of elder or shepherd to sheep. That is not the case. There is no responsibility for an elder over every Christian. Nor does every Christian have to be in, 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 in a responsive position to any and every elder. It's a local church thing. Those allotted to your charge. As long as somebody is regularly coming to church and they view Bernie Bible Church as their church home, it is not about church membership. It doesn't say those who have joined your church, those who are members of your church, but those whom God has given you. So if you call this your home, then you are part of the charge of the elders. God has allotted you to the elders of this church, and the elders of the church need to take care of you. That's what it's saying. Once you leave this church, you're still loved, you're still prayed for, cared for, but obviously the relationship is not what it was because you're no longer regularly attending here and you may have joined another church. Those are hard lines to draw, but the emphasis that Peter's making is that God determines who is going to be in your charge. Not you, God does. Proving to be examples to the flock. Examples of what? Of Jesus Christ. Of who he is. So I want to just use our Bibles again. I'm kind of plodding a little bit this morning, but I think this, it's important to just carefully look at these things. If you'll go back to John chapter 10, where Jesus is the good shepherd. John chapter 10. Beginning in verse 11. Well, we'll start in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. That should be the heart disposition of those in leadership in a church. They need to be asking themselves, am I stealing and killing and destroying? Or am I giving life? Giving life. I am the good shepherd. What distinguishes a good shepherd? He lays down his life for the sheep. He doesn't run when the persecution comes. 
He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and he is not concerned about the sheep. So the good shepherd lays down his life because he is concerned for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. So there is a personal relationship here that's being built where we grow in our knowledge of each other. This is a difficult thing about the local church in America today is we're so scattered in terms of where we live. This little church, Bernie Bible Church, there's probably you know, 20 to 40 miles in any direction that people are traveling to get to church. And so for many of us, the only time we see, our, see each other is on a Sunday morning. So it's hard to get to know each other. I talked to an associate pastor this week in the church that, that he is serving at has 1,400 people on a Sunday morning. He was brought on to staff to get people involved in, in small community groups within the church because they only have 300 people out of 1,400 that are meeting weekly with each other so they see each other more than just on Sunday morning. And in the six months that he's been in that church, he told me he's only had three couples, three families sign up to be a part of the 300. 1,400 people in the church. Most of them are having no relationship with anybody outside of Sunday morning. That's the way they want it. How do you get to know the shepherds? How do the shepherds get to know you? It's difficult in the society we live in where we all are driving and commute so far. But at least the heart of the shepherd should be to know the sheep and for the sheep to know him. It's one of the reasons that when I preach, I share so much about my own life. It's it's just because I want you to know me. And and this is almost the only context for many of us. So if I'm not self-revealing, you don't get to know anything about me. When we have our elders meetings, the biggest part of the meeting is we're updating each other on the sheep. What's going on with the sheep? How can we be praying for the sheep? It's the biggest part of what we do every month when we meet together. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. A shepherd is one who gives himself for the sheep. Look with me at Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34. This whole chapter is about shepherd and sheep, and it's applied to Israel, the leaders of elders of Israel, not shepherding the people of God. Ezekiel 34, it says, verse 2, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? How do you feed the flock? Tend my sheep, shepherd my lambs, Jesus said to Peter. What does that look like? According to Acts, it principally has to do with the ministry of God's word. Jesus said when he was being tempted by the devil, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Sometimes as sheep, we don't even recognize that what we need, we truly need in order to survive, is the word of God. God said, my people perish because, they, because of a lack of the word of God. 
We need God's word. It's astounding to me. Hardly a week goes by that somebody tells me, Charlie, the word is just not being preached out there. We don't hear God's word being preached. We have these retired volunteers that come to his hill every, every year in the month of February, and they travel all across the country all year long, retiring in, in different ministries. And, and every year when those people are with me, they say, you do not know how little scripture is being taught out there. The elders are not feeding the sheep. That is the, one of the principal responsibilities of the leadership of a church is to make sure that God's word is being proclaimed. Verse 4, those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. You can see in that verse both what a shepherd is to do and is not to do. They are to strengthen, heal, bind up, bring back, and seek after the lost. That is the role of a shepherd. It isn't so that they can get fat off the sheep. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Verse 13, I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. I will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places. Verse 15, I will feed my flock. I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and bring back the scattered and bind up the broken and strengthen the sick, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. A shepherd is to care for the sheep, and that means principally in feeding them, handling the word of God, serving God's word, strengthening them, encouraging them, exhorting them on the basis of God's word. And secondly, praying for them, interceding for them. So the attitude is to be voluntary. The motive is to be pure with eagerness, not for sordid gain. The manner, examples of Christ, humility, selflessness, sacrifice, commitment, the manner of Christ, examples of the Lord Jesus Christ. The responsibilities, Ezekiel 34 speaks to that. John 10 speaks of the responsibilities. Acts chapter 20, if you look at that passage with me, Paul's final words to the Ephesian elders before he leaves to go to Jerusalem and realizes he'll probably never see them again. Acts chapter 20. And he speaks to the elders there talks about his own example first, and he says in verse 19, I was serving the Lord with all humility. Verse 20, declaring to you everything, shrinking back from nothing. Verse 21, testifying to both the Jews and the Greeks of repentance toward God. Verse 24, I do not consider my life of any count as dear to myself. Verse 27, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. And now he tells the elders what they are to do. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among you. 
which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. It's not yours. You are shepherds, overseers of his flock, which is among you. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. What is one again, one of the principal roles of the shepherd? To guard the flock and to be on the alert from false teachers. And I want to say, for the shepherd to do his job, he is just crying in the wind if the sheep are not responding. You can be a good shepherd and have sheep that don't listen. You can be guarding, warning, instructing, counseling, and the sheep just run away. The shepherd has no control over that. That's where the metaphor breaks down of sheep and shepherd. If it were a real shepherd-sheep relationship, he could run after you and then take his rod out, beat you with it, maybe break your leg because apparently the shepherds did that in the, in the Middle East, and then bind up the leg and then the sheep never runs away again. We don't do that in the church, nor should we do that in the church. It's not a perfect metaphor. But I am saying, even when the shepherds are fulfilling their obligation to preach and to teach, to feed, it doesn't mean people are always going to do what they're supposed to do, what they're being encouraged and exhorted to do. And I want to just, have, just keep in mind, what is the overall goal? And the overall goal is not to become followers of the shepherds, but it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's why it, it, it shouldn't ultimately discourage and defeat us as a church, and especially as a leadership in a church, when people go to other churches. It shouldn't inflate us and get us all excited when people start coming to our church. The goal is Jesus Christ and to be followers of him. It's his flock. He allots people. He takes people away. He brings more people. It's his business. Several places in Scripture speaks to that goal. I won't read them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12 Paul says that our ambition is that you might walk in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, Paul says that, it, that my ambition is, that to, is to present every man complete in Christ. 1 Timothy 1, 5, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart. Each of those are goal statements of what the shepherds, elders should be after with people. Love from a pure heart to present every man complete in Christ and to walk in a manner that is worthy of him. And I would have us just finish with thinking about Psalm 23, the shepherd chapter. And it's probably the best place in Scripture to go to see what a shepherd is to be doing and how elders of a church and how dads should be conducting themselves. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
Every need, every need is supplied. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. I'm safe when I'm with him. There is authority. There is power. But it's not used against me. It's used for me. Occasionally I hear from people, sometimes former stu- for, um, present students, former students who tell me how they have been abused spiritually within a church context or a church, parachurch ministry. Read Psalm 23. Unbelievable that anybody could be involved in a church ministry or a parachurch ministry and be abused spiritually. That is not the heart of the shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. It's about rest. Sometimes people are just so churned up and wanting more activity and more activity. And when's this church going to have more activity? The role of the shepherd is not to lead you to more activity. It is to lead you to rest. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and we all do, or we all will, we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil, for you are with me. The shepherd doesn't run away. He's there. Sometimes just our presence, because we all suffer. We all go through time, and sometimes just the, just the willingness to not run away is the greatest testimony and the greatest lesson that we can give to others. We stay. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Those were not only instruments of weaponry to attack wolves, but again, sometimes the rod was used on the sheep. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.21, do I need to come to you with a rod? I don't want to come to you with a rod, Paul says. I want to come to you in a spirit of gentleness. But it's good to know our shepherd is prepared not only to defend us, but to discipline us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He is the one who makes us safe. You have anointed my head with oil You bless me. Elders, shepherds are not to be cursing people, but blessing them, adding to their lives, enriching their lives. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. How can you come to that assurance? Because you know the character of the shepherd. This shepherd is only going to do that which is good for me. And even should he discipline me, it's because he loves me and has my good at heart. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And why would I not dwell in that house? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you imagine somebody not wanting to come to church? If this is the shepherding that's taking place in that church, surely I will go to church on Sunday morning. Because everywhere else I go, I'm going to get beat up. But I can come to church, and I'm going to be loved, and I'm going to be cared for. I'm going to be blessed, and I will be brought to a place of rest, a place of bounty, a place of goodness. Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord.
There are no perfect churches, no perfect elders, certainly no perfect sheep. But we do want to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord as sheep and as shepherds. I'll close this in prayer. Lord, you are the only perfect shepherd. You are the good shepherd. From John, you are the great shepherd. From Hebrews. And you are the suffering shepherd. In First Peter. The great shepherd. Lord, we want to always have our eyes on you. But in the roles that you've given us, especially as dads and as elders, that what is true of you, Lord Jesus, would be true of us. That our children and those allotted to us in the body could say with all their hearts, we have been shepherded well. That the word has been taught in our homes, and in our churches. That there has been protection given and there has been blessing. That souls have been restored because of that loving, sacrificial care and because of the faithful proclamation of your word, not shrinking back. And I do pray, Lord Jesus, that this would increasingly be true in this fellowship that you've raised up and in every home represented here. And we know, God, that you are more than adequate for this. So we thank you for what you have done. I truly thank you, God, for the good men that are part of this church. So many, God, we've been so blessed with humble shepherds who are shepherding their families and shepherding others, Lord. It's not about whether they have the position or not. They are examples of Jesus Christ. And I praise you for that. And I pray, God, that we might grow in this precious and dear responsibility that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.